Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. We have a list on our website, warrockandajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax Every Story Ever special for June 2023. And 
is it the first of July? Yes, it is. But is time a construct anyway? Also true. Are you going to listen to what Pope Gregory told you about what day it is? Or are you going to listen to your friends on the War Rocket Ajax podcast? That's that's what Who I'm saying. Who are alive right now. This this is June 31st in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Take that, Gregory. I don't remember if it's Gregory. It's Gregory. We use the Gregorian calendar, right? I don't actually remember which it is. Well, we don't use the Julian calendar, so... Right, right, right. Yeah, Pope Gregory. I believe you are correct. It yeah. was the Gregorian calendar. Uh, my name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is also here. This is the show where we rank comic book stories on a big old list. Can I tell you, um, in the future, like, I, like we're recording this obviously in the past. That's how uh, time works. In the future, right now, called shot. I just got a text from Benito before he heard this part. <laughs> called shot about the, about the calendar, Gregory. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so before we get into it, Chris, we already have some cleanup that has to be done to the list. Someone pointed out to us that DC Comics presents number 67, mm-hmm. the story with Superman and Santa Claus, is on the list twice. Uh, yeah, it, here it is at 11.48 and... Uh, 10.31. 1031, yeah. yeah. Not a huge spread. Not a huge spread, but we got to get rid of one. And my typical way of doing it is to give preference to the higher ranking. I can tell you that the higher ranking is the more recent ranking. Then even more, I think, we're just going to dump the 1148 version of DC Comics Presents number 67. Okay. It is finished. So, now the list as it stands is 1,456 comics. Correct. Chris, would you like to give an update on the states of the Every Story Ever list? At number one. Coming in at number one. Story we like a lot. Story we recently discussed as being pretty fucking raw. That's right. Did well on the Thursday Night Raw list. Speaking of Raw, buddy, I'm I'm not caught up on Berserk, but I'm in I'm into the fifth deluxe hardcover. Yeah, the Golden Age is a long story. Golden Age is a long ass story. Yeah, like the Black Swordsman arc is a cold open. Very much so. Yeah, like I think different people have different opinions of where the Golden Age arc ends. But I would definitely contend that it goes through the eclipse, and Chris, you'll know what that is when you get there. Oh, buddy, I've gotten, I've gotten there. We're back in, we're back in action. Uh, we should say this for when we talk about Berserk. There is one panel that I was, I was getting tattooed last night. Uh huh. And I mentioned too, like I was reading it as I was getting tattooed, and uh, I showed the panel to Aaron. And I was like, if I was going to get a Berserk tattoo, it would be this panel. So so the eclipse has occurred. The eclipse has occurred. Okay. Okay. So you're almost to the end. 
You're almost to the end. Yeah, like, there's only, there's like six deluxe edition hardcovers, right? And I'm in the fifth one. There's more. <laughs> but, but, uh, you're almost to the end of the Golden Age arc. Oh, minimum. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm past, I'm past that. We're back, uh, we're, we're back at the part where, uh, where he said, it's just like any other war, uh, last man standing wins. So now he's oh, back. You, he's he's into he's into the kids who were bees. Now, oh, then you're then you're done. Yeah, I'm done. I finished. I, I finished it up. Then then we can we can do catch up then because catch up July catch up is going to be June and July catch up. We're going to do double. Yeah, I think we big, should. I think we should rank the Black Swordsman arc and the Golden Age arc. Agreed. I th- I did I already rank the Black Swordsman. You might have. Let's see. Black Swords. I, I have, but we can, we can relitigate it. Yeah, we can relitigate it okay. uh, um, when we do catch up. But that's for catch up. It's going to be a list big... crisis. You all know that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, let's see. 1456, half of that would be, what, 728? Yeah, that's so about right. Here is the dead center of the list at this very moment. Number 728 is uh, Flash Dead Heat, which is a good comic. Good comic. It's a top-heavy list. Top-heavy list. I would say that's, like, for this list, that's about right. Yeah. Because that comic's pretty good. Uh, so so stay tuned, everybody, for the big double-sized Berserk catch-up episode. Because that's that's coming later in the month. We're We're definitely going to do that. Uh, but Chris, it is now time to rank some other comics, and we're going to start with a list from Robert Headley. All right. Uh, this is just a random assortment of comics, I think. Um, the first one on Robert's list is X of Swords. I mean, Matt, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but it's not... <sighs> I, I have mixed feelings about X of Swords, I have to admit. I mean... It's, it's pretty good, but it's not quite what you want it to be. It's not quite what you want it to be, because you think it's going to be a Mortal Kombat, and it's not a Mortal yes. Kombat. Yes, I, that that is exactly it. But I think that's a good thing about it. I think that is a clever subversion of what you want it to be. Yes, I mean I don't I don't think the story that exists that is here is bad. And let's I want to be clear. First of all, you hear my cat and you're going to hear my cat cuz we recorded I was trying not to mention it because we always one of the things we do on our uh pre-show wrap with the guests is we say, "Hey, if you hear Biscuit or Harrison, don't mention them because it makes them harder to cut out." So I've been trying not to mention it. Jesus Christ, Harrison is loud today. He's he's it's an hour and a half before he's supposed to be fed, but he's begging for food. And I'm sorry, everybody. I don't have time to cut this out. <laughs> yeah, it's the last day of June. June 31st. It's June 31st. I have to get this up. You're just going to hear a cat. I'm, I apologize. But I shouldn't have to. He, I have a cat. He makes noise. We'll stop and I'll feed him in a little bit. But you going to be mad that Matt takes care of an animal in his life? <laughs> <laughs> what? So, he okay. Here's here's a point I would like to make. X of Swords is 
22 issues of comics. It's a, it's a hefty chunk. It's a hefty chunk. It is the two X of Swords uh, bookend issues. X of Swords Creation and X of Swords Destruction. Both of which are by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. With art by Pepe Larraz. Then there are uh, a few issues of X-Factor, some issues of Wolverine, some issues of X-Force, Marauders, Hellions, New Mutants, Cable, Excalibur, the regular X-Men series. There's another X of Swords-specific book called X of Swords Stasis. And all in all, yes, it comes out to 22 issues. 22 issues of comics. It's It's hefty. And and again, that amount of comics that were just a Mortal Kombat, we would like. But I think it would be difficult to maintain. Yeah, you probably have to do more than just a Mortal Kombat to, to get that much story in. Yeah, I mean, I would be perfectly fine with that. But, like, if you want that, there's a little thing you might be interested in. It's called Shonen Manga. True. It's called Hunter Hunter, which is nothing but tournament arcs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... Yes, it it, it is is a Mortal Kombat in some ways. I, I remember us reading the first issue... X of Swords creation and being like, holy shit, this thing's a Mortal Kombat. And then as it went on, it's it's more of a political drama, I it's, guess. It's a political drama. It's it uses the tournament as the centerpiece for a lot of like interpersonal stuff, which is interesting. But I think of X of Swords, which I guess we should say this. Uh, in the way that it's House of X, as in Xavier, and Powers of X, as in Powers of Ten, this is Cross of Swords. Yes. Which yes, is, yes. that alone propels it, like, 100 places higher on the list, for me. <laughs> uh, Ten of Swords is also a tarot card. Ten of Swords is also a tarot card. But yeah. I think there's more than ten swords in that story. I would have to look and see. Uh but yeah, like I always think of it as the story, uh, like the relationship drama between Apocalypse and his wife. Yeah, there's that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a big relationship drama with Ensabaner and and uh, Saturnine, and Saturnine is kind of the lead character of the whole story, which. You would not necessarily have expected. Yeah, I never expect Saturnine to be in any stories, but that's just me. I, not Teeny Howard. (laughs) But here's the thing. Saturnine, like, who's the character who really wants something in X of Swords? It's Saturnine. Mm -hmm. She wants to be queen queen in Otherworld, and she wants... Captain Britain or Brian Braddock, like fully dead, and she gets one of those things, but not the other. Yeah, that's that's folks. K 
characters have to want things. Yeah. Don't don't forget that. If you're a writer, I mean, characters have to want things. If you're playing D&D, characters have to want things. The best way to round out your character, make them want something. Uh, Apocalypse also wants something. And that's more complicated. <laughs> what did Reyna want? What did Reyna want in the last D&D campaign I yeah. was part of? Yeah. Uh, Reyna wanted glory. She she was not interested in money or um or like fame per se because she already had both. But she wanted to feel she wanted to do combat for a purpose. Love that. Love that yeah. for her. Yeah. And she she got it in the end. She got it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. The, there are very clear wants in X of Swords. That's one of the best things about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I am the kind of person who really just does want a story about a bunch of cool swords. But again, I, I, I've read One Piece. You know, right? Like, I'm good. Like, I, I get that in different places. So I'm okay with this not turning out to be what I thought it was going to be. Uh, which I, I think ultimately was like a pretty, like for a big X-Men crossover, which are, there is an inherent level of this is a mess that you are going to get with X-Men crossovers that is Definitely. unavoidable. Definitely. Uh, particularly in the House of X era, where, like, so much is new, and you're bringing together so much stuff. Because, like, you are bringing together Otherworld, uh, and ideas about magic, but also mutants, but also the Krakoa stuff. So, you... And Araco. And Araco. The, the, the island that fucks. Uh, and... Also making Apocalypse the centerpiece of your story, but as a protagonist? Like, because Apocalypse is kind of like, Apocalypse is kind of the underdog (laughs) in this story, which is wild. Like, that's a thing you've never seen before. So it's doing a bunch of new stuff and a bunch of very complicated stuff. There is a level of mess that it's going to be. And I think... It is a. I mean, I think it's a very fun and and readable story, uh, even for that. I think maybe the character who has changed the most and gotten the most out of the Krakoa era of X Men may have been Apocalypse. Like Apocalypse, you know, they're they're. They're coming out of this era pretty soon, I think. There's a story that's called Death of X that's coming. Death of... It's actually Death of of Key. Death of Key. And I think once we get a little beyond the House of X, Krakoa era... And we look back on it, and we see how it affected X-Men in general. Because I don't know what it's going to be after Death of X, but 
it's going to be something different, right? I think we'll look back and say that this, you know, it changed Magneto. It changed Cyclops to a degree. It changed Professor X. I don't think Professor X a hot body and a nerd helmet. Yeah, but I don't think Professor X is going to stay like that, right? I think Professor Professor X X is going to stay in his hot body. I don't. I think he'll go back to being old Professor X eventually. Let Uh, Professor X keep his sexy body. Everybody, (laughs) that's that's what I'm. I'm not asking. I'm telling you, Professor X keeps his sexy body. Um, it had a pretty big effect on, you know, the White Queen. It had a pretty big effect. Like, it's had an effect on a lot of characters. Kate Pride, definitely a very, very sure. dramatic change. Yeah. But I think all of those characters, one, will have a p- possibility of regressing. Oh, Mr. Sinister? Mr. Sinister has changed a, a good amount. But... I think there's a good chance of all of those characters regressing to something they were before or sort of becoming an amalgamation of the old versions of themselves and the the new version. Apocalypse, I think, is going to be this now. Like, still, you know, a, a, a huge threat of a bad guy. But occasionally a character you can root for, which is not what Apocalypse ever was before this. Yeah. And it, we talked about this with, uh, with, with House of X, in that one of the most fun things about it for me was that they go get Apocalypse, and Apocalypse was like, this is literally what I've been trying to get y'all to do for, since the 80s. Yeah. So, like, I'm totally fine with this. Yeah, like, I think yeah. that's fun. Yeah, for sure. So let's rank uh, X of Swords on the list. The we have House of X and Powers of X on the list, and it is very high. It is at number sixty-two. Yeah, I don't. Here's the thing: I don't think it's that good. I'm not sure it's even as good as Flash Dead Heat, uh, which is a comic that I like a lot. But again, it's a top-heavy list. It is, and it, you know it's. It's a lot of comics. It's a lot of comics. It's a lot of comics to get through for one story. It's 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 probably as much as I don't necessarily want to use this word. It's a little bloated. And we talked about it's not entirely the story that you want. Like how hype would we have been for X of Swords if it was just 10 issues of a fucking Mortal Kombat tournament. If it was ten issues of a Mortal Kombat that all the other stuff happened around, I yeah. think we would we would unambiguously love it. Yeah, that's what I think. I yeah. it's not a bad story as it is, but if it was the story we wanted, imagine. Yeah, how hype we would be for it, and how high it would be on this list. I do. I I will say this. I do like that. This era of X Men is like, hey, what do the X Men do? And the answers were: they fight robots, they go to space. There's an island that fucks, and a lot of people have swords for some reason. 
And that is what that run of X-Men was based around. That is true. That and is all of those absolutely are true. true. And all of those things are things I think about the X-Men. They fight ancient evils that have been in caves. They do fight a lot of fucking ancient Like, if fucking Dracula showed up more often in that run, alas. Okay. So, the closest X-Men story we have to Flash Dead Heat is Uncanny X-Men number 201, which is Storm versus Cyclops, which is at number 748. That shit owns. That shit does own. (laughs) Unfortunately, that shit is tight as fuck. Storm doesn't have her powers in that story. It's a good story. It's a good story. Uh, I... I... I think it's better... I think it's better than the first arc of 100 Bullets, but I don't think it's better than the first arc of Sin City. Which and is that is... 759. Okay. So at the new number 759 is X of Swords. All right. Next on the list from Robert is G.I. Joe, the 2019 series, number seven. G.I. Joe 2019 number seven. I believe we have talked about this issue on the show. Did we? I, I believe we did. I think we reviewed it on an episode. Okay. G- give give uh, me like, a moment. I need to re- look. Matt, I've read a lot of G.I. Joe comics. I know you have. Uh, I, I vaguely remember talking about this issue, though. This very specific issue. Okay. G.I. Joe. 2019. 2019. Oh, this is the Paul Aller series. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was, good. that was a good run. Issue number seven is... Let's see. I'm trying to remember what happens in the issue. This is the issue about uh, Scarlet dealing with PTSD. And going to like a support group and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh those are that's a good comic, man. Okay, here's my question though. Because this this G.I. Joe series is only ten issues long. Which is this a story? It should have gone on it should have gone on for a lot longer. Yeah. Is this a single story on its own, or should we rank the entire twenty nineteen G.I. Joe series altogether? I mean, I think this this issue this is a standalone issue with a standalone like theme which is scarlet dealing with ptsd it does like it it does play into the larger story but i think this is a good example of a a single issue story that that i i, I think qualifies as a single issue story. Like I, okay. I think we could rank the whole run as one story and this would be part of it, but I also feel I mean the thing is th- we often make this decision there's not like a bad issue of this run. The run is good. Yeah. And the run is probably going to wind up if we were to rank this separately, I doubt it would be very like like there would be a lot of variation. So I'm okay with ranking that entire run. That would be my 
thought. Since the run is only 10 issues, like I, I think if we ranked seven separately, then we'd probably rank one through six and eight through 10. Yeah. <laughs> right. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say, why, why don't we just rank all 10 issues at one time? Do you want to do that now? Well, it wasn't submitted as that, but if you want to do that now, then let's do that now. I mean, it's a, it's good. It's really, really good. Like, I really like the premise of this run being that we start with Cobra winning. Like, yeah. we start with Cobra has conquered the United States of America. Uh, and honestly, like... So G.I. Joe is like underground. Yeah. So G.I. Joe is basically a resistance in occupied territory, which we've never, you know, we've seen stories where, you know, when Larry Hama came back, like his first thing was like Cobra had gone legit and been hired as like a PMC. And that was Uh good. Uh, But like, this was Cobra one. The war is over. Uh, And that is a premise we do not see. And this does it really, really good. It does it really well. Uh, G.I. Joe as the Resistance, especially in 2019, was a story I think think we needed. It it was was the right G.I. Joe story for the time. It's the Uh, opposite of... uh, of fucking secret empire the exact (laughs) wrong story for the time yeah this was the exact right story for the time which you know secret empire was just bad luck right we all thought the world was gonna be a little different when that issue came out yeah it, it was bad luck it was it was because that 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 issue that was 2016 and it had been planned way in advance. Yeah. And this is 2019. So it's a response to things in the world rather than, I don't know, a prediction. <laughs> yeah. It's a response to, to okay, well, what do you do when you think you've lost? Like, do you yeah. stop fighting? Because someone told you to stop fighting. And, and of course not. Of course not. You're fucking duke uh but yeah like the the depiction of cobra commander in here is really good i feel like this builds a lot on the uh did paul i think paul also wrote that issue of uh what was the the gi joe what if book called was it like deviations or something uh, I'll, I'll look it up and see. Yeah, G.I. Joe Deviations. Uh, it, there's the issue of that that is Paul Aller and uh, Corey Lewis of Shark Knife fame uh, doing the story about uh, Cobra winning and conquering the world and then like kind of like what does Cobra Commander do like now that he, he won? Like like Cobra Commander doesn't want to win, right? Like, Cobra Commander doesn't want to have one. He wants to win. And so if you give yeah. that guy, like, if you put him five years after 
he wins, what the fuck does he do? And so I think this, like, very much spins out of that. Like, that was done as a one-shot in, like, a couple years prior, I believe. It was that was that came out in March of 2016. Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. So you get the other side of that in this and it's it's really good. It sucks that this run was only 10 issues long. Uh yeah, this, for like, sure. This should have been this should have been like at least 2 or 3 years of what GI Joe was. Cuz it was fresh and new, it looked good. Uh, we haven't, you know, we've talked about uh, Paul, but we haven't talked about uh, Chris Evanuis, who did this, who, like, a really good, clean art style for this book. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily the art style you envision for a G.I. Joe book. Yeah. But it's it's really good. I think it's really good for this specific story. Like... It almost has the look of like propaganda posters. Yeah. And it's very appropriate for the story being told. It's 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 good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh all right, Chris. It's it this is all you as far as ranking. I mean it's good. It's good. Like it's I mean it ain't G.I. Joe twenty one. Uh no, it's not that. It's not but silent interlude. It, but what is? Yeah, that's number is? thirty on this list. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Transformers versus GI Joe: The Movie Adaptation is at number seven fifteen. It is unfortunately not that good. Okay, I'm just going to tell you all the GI Joe stuff that is on the list currently. Okay. Okay. So. So we have Silent Interlude at number 30. G.I. Joe number 100 is at 151. G.I. Joe The Cobra Civil War is at 540. That's pretty fucking good, actually. Uh, G.I. Joe The Battle of Springfield is at 272. That's I, really good. Transf- yes, yeah, so you mentioned Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, the movie adaptation. That's at 7.15. G.I. Joe Cobra, The Last Laugh, is at 7.40. I think it goes between those two. I think it goes between okay. those two. Okay. Uh, I would say... Yeah, because like, I'm looking at stuff. The 2019 Peter Cannon Thunderbolt uh, that Kieran Gillen did, that is the weird, this level of formalism is dangerous <laughs> comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's in there, and I think that's uh, a really solid... Uh, a book from this time. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's as good as. I don't think it's as good as. Is it as good as Nimona? Probably not. I think I, think I would put it below Nimona. I then I think it's better than the Carl Kershaw, Brendan Fletcher, uh, Flash, Wednesday Comics. Yeah, the Wednesday Comics Flash. But below Batman sixty six number one. Yes. Okay, so the new number 739 is... I'm just going to say G.I. Joe 2019. Uh, and then I'll put in parentheses Aller and... What is it? Evan Huys? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Evan Huys. Yeah, but that, that issue... Like, if you're going to read one issue, that uh, 
Scarlet issue is really good. Finally here on Robert's list is Catwoman by Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook. If I remember correctly, we already have some of those stories on the list. Uh, I'm not sure if we have the Brubaker and Darwin Cook stuff, actually. Okay, because that's we have, only like the the first few issues. Here's what we have. Here's what we have. The whole thing. Yeah, we have Selena's big score, which was which is only Darwin Cook. Yeah, uh, and we have the what? Why Holly isn't dead? Which Eric Chenoweth drew? Right. <sighs> My question is. Does Robert mean the whole run here, even though it's listed as Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook? Do we mean the whole Brubaker run on Catwoman? Or do we just mean the the issues they did together? I would assume it was just the issues they did together, which is just the start of that run. So my sub-question to that is, are just the Cook issues one story or does cook kind of leave because cook is gone by like issue seven yeah i want to say six or seven this is Uh, the 2002 catwoman series i mean spoiler warning they good they good they good cook is gone actually uh cook doesn't draw number five yeah cook is gone by the end of four yeah and then it's uh, uh, okay. It is one story. That whole story is called Anodyne. Those four issues is that is one arc of the Catwoman run, yeah. the Brubaker Catwoman run. So we could rank Catwoman Anodyne as one story. Yeah. Guess what? It's good. It's good as hell. Yeah. It's real fucking good. Here's what's fucking wild about this. This is immediately preceded by Jim Ballant. Mm-hmm. Like, Catwoman 77 came out in 2001, I believe, which Jim Ballant drew. Jim Ballant drew every issue of that run. Yeah. Uh, 77 issues, plus all the annuals, all the specials, all that stuff. So this immediately follows that. Which I think is fucking funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's that's incorrect. He draws one through seventy-seven, which comes out in February of two thousand. That run, I forgot. That run actually does go on for a little bit to uh, until two thousand one. So that run goes till ninety-four, which is also hilarious because six more months and they would have gotten to one hundred. True. It cracks me up when runs end. So close to a round number because that means it it ain't fucking selling. Yeah, they can't even bother to put out those last handful of issues to get to the round number. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like that that run is still very much like same logo. It's the purple costume with the thigh high boots, which is not a bad costume. I don't think. Like I, I think Catwoman, one of the few characters has mostly re- had really good costumes. 
Uh, I like the purple costume a lot. Uh, but it is a fucking sea change. For sure. Yeah. You relaunch this book out of Selena's big score. Because there's that, then there's Selena's big score, and then we get this new run of Catwoman in 2002 in what was a really, really good era of Batman titles. Uh, where, you know, Greg Rucka at Brubaker, Gotham Central, the, weirdly enough, like, the ancillary Batman titles weren't great. Like, Robin, Nightwing, uh, Birds of Prey was pretty good at the time, but, like, Robin, Nightwing, those were kind of lousy. Uh, as we would see going into War Games. War Games! Blood and guts. <laughs> Honestly, that's what it should have been called. That story, because that's what it was. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the the change in tone. Those, the the nineteen ninety three Catwoman run feels like such a such an of its era comic, largely because it's defined by Jim Ballant. And this feels like a modern comic. Like this comic, go back and look at Catwoman number one. Keep in mind it is 21 years old. It looks like it could come out today. Well, I think one thing that a lot of people forget about this run on Catwoman, and it is much about the Darwin Cook art as it is about the story itself. It's just a slightly more mature take on Batman the Animated Series. I mean... Look at the way it's designed. Yes. Look at how Art Deco everything is. Look at the font on the magazines. Look at what Batman looks like. Yeah, but that was kind of the... The post two thousand, like post No Man's Land, New Gotham era, yeah, like yeah. down to kind of you know giving giving Batman you know giving Batman the trunks back, uh, like redesigning the GCPD uniforms to look like nineteen forties cop uniforms, like getting that that Art Deco sensibility back in there, like that was. In in the bat zeitgeist, and it's certainly in the Darwin Cook zeitgeist. For sure, I think we are like it is. It is apparent from going back and looking at these first few issues of Catwoman and how they literally look like they could come out right now. Like twenty one years before this was nineteen eighty eighty one. Imagine looking at a comic from nineteen eighty one in 2002 and thinking it could come out today. Like there were some, but there weren't many. Yeah, there were like, there were some, but it certainly wasn't issues of Batman or Superman or Spider-Man. Maybe just daredevil. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not in 81. Maybe. I mean, by the time Miller gets going on it, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like I, I think you know th- that is a testament to a how 
like modern this book was at the time and what a sea change it was. And B, how like influential Darwin Cook was, and kind of by extension, like, you know, Bruce Tim. Uh not to not to knock Darwin Cook, but like Darwin Cook was an art director on on the animated stuff before he did he was doing these comics. Like if you like you know the opening sequence of Batman Beyond? That's Darwin Cook. You know, you know Dana yeah. dancing in the in the teen dance party nightclub? That's Darwin Cook. Darwin animated that. Yeah, I mean so. it it feels very much like You know what it feels like? It this these four issues of Catwoman in particular feel like a marriage of the animated series sensibility. It's like we're gonna do animated series style and and crank up the rating to PG thirteen because there's a panel of Catwoman's butt in issue one. And we're gonna sort of do we're we're gonna dial it back to like Batman Year One Selena a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where it's like she she is back to the East End and really being protective of her neighborhood again and Holly's back. And there's like a whole story about sex workers. Like it it feels like a bringing together those two things into one version of Catwoman. Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah, I agree. It's good stuff. It's good comics. So, uh, I I think this ranks fairly high. Uh, does it rank above or below Selena's big score? I think I think it's better than Selena's big score. Really interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, then, where where would you put it? Because right above that, we've got the truth, red, white, and black. We've got Electra Assassin, Kingpin must die, Superman smashes the clan. Yeah, ecstatics. I mean, good ass comics. All of these comics are very good. Yes, man. This was kind of like, boy, two thousand four, like two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four. There were so many good fucking comics. Mm-hmm. And then 2005 ruined everything. 2005 was just like, here I am to ruin comics. Yeah. Uh, I th- hmm. It's hard to put this above Electra Assassin. Electra Assassin pretty fucking good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I could, I could put it above truth, I think. I think All I right. can put it between Electra Assassin and Truth. So that All would right. make it number one thirty seven. Yeah. So it's it's Catwoman two thousand three numbers one through four. Uh that's what we're or two thousand two, sorry. Uh and those are the specifically the Brubaker Cook issues. It's wild though how 
I, I, among other people, I think, think of that whole run as the Brubaker-Cook run and that you forget how little of it Cook actually drew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people do that, and they don't give the rest of the... Like, that. that is really shortchanging the rest of the run. But it's it was so defined by those first four issues and those first four covers. For like, sure. And that, run, cover- that run stays good. The Will Pfeiffer stuff that comes after uh, Brubaker leaves is also really good. Yeah, there were some Brad Raider issues immediately after Cook. Yeah. Cameron and Stewart. then, yeah, the... The Will Pfeiffer stuff is really good too. Yeah, Javier Polito um, draws a bunch of good stuff in there. Yeah, Cook designed the costume yeah. that is such a, a huge divergence from the original, from the purple costume. Selena actually throws away the purple costume in in these comics. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff. Throughout the whole run, uh, undoubtedly, I don't know why it's such a tendency of of me and others to just say it was a Brubaker Cook joint. Uh, I think but, because it does. Everyone else who comes on and draws it does aesthetically follow Cook. Like yeah. Javier Polito is not far from Darwin Cook on the stylistic spectrum. That's true. Um, most of the artists that come after are, you're right, are following, are following Cook's lead. I, yeah, they're, I they're, they're, they're the, they're the, the, the Toth artists. <laughs> they, yeah, very much. Alex Toth, yeah. <laughs> All right. That is going to be it for our list from uh, Robert. So thank you, Robert, for sending in that list. We appreciate it. Uh, next up, we have a list from Ian Muir. We actually have two lists from Ian, so we're going to choose one of these. Okie dokie. One is 90s Marvel blockbusters, mm-hmm. and the other is Judge Dread Epics. Mm, I gotta, I gotta go with 90s Marvel blockbusters, bud. Okay, these are all 90s Marvel crossovers. Hell yeah! Let's so, let's do it. Diggity dog. Okay, let's go. Okay. First up, Avengers Operation Galactic Storm, which we read part of very recently. I mean, I've read I've read the whole thing previously. It sucks, man. <laughs> it sucks, man. <laughs> it sucks so fucking bad, dude. I don't know. It it doesn't like it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's also it's not, not that good. It's not that good. It's 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 bad. It's like I would say it's not even it's certainly not the worst 90s Marvel crossover. But boy, it's Iron Man <laughs> leading the Iron Man leading the Avengers extrajudicial killing squad is I mean it's fucking wild, dude. That's the worst thing about it, right? Like by a long shot. It's like the conflict is it's like the Civil War conflict before Civil War. Yeah. Because it's like, Iron Man's like, I want to kill the Supreme Intelligence. And Cap's like, no. Cap's like, no. By definition, that is an intelligent creature. And then Iron Man just does it anyway. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man takes a bunch of dudes, and they go off. And 
Like, then Captain America gotta be all weird about it. It's like, I quit. Although that happens after. That happens after the the actual event. And, like, like, I feel like there's not a lot of places in the 10-year Mark Grunewald run on Captain America that we read where I think you can feel the frustration of Mark Grunewald like you can feel in that issue that opens with Cap being like, I fucking quit. If you guys are going to let Iron Man decide to go fucking murder the Supreme Intelligence, I quit. And the rest of the Avengers are like, come on, Cap. Because it, like... You can feel Grunwald being like, okay, that's what Cap would do in this situation. And now I got to fucking deal with that. I got to deal with the fact that that this book I'm writing, this guy would be like, no, I fucking quit. Yeah. Because you, you violated my, my moral code and he's defined by his moral code. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this now? And so you have all these other characters being like, ah, don't, don't though. And then you gotta have, like, that issue where... That actually pretty good issue where Cap and Tony are in that bar. Uh, and they have a they have a sit-down, like, a little come-to-Jesus meeting. Like, that's, that's pretty good. But, like, man... It feels frustrating. Yeah. On every level. Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, it's... First of all, it's frustrating because it's about a conflict between... The Kree and the Shi'ar. And you're going to have a real hard time getting me to care about that from Jump. Hey, Matt, can I um, can I tell you a secret? Yeah. Most of the Marvel comics, like Alien Races, the Kree, the Shi'ar, the Scrolls. Yeah. Outside of, like, the Dire Wraiths, I don't really give a fuck. I don't really care about them. They're, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about all of them. They're only interested, interesting when they're in conflict with Earth. Yeah. If there's a story about them being in conflict with each other, you're going to have to work so hard to get me to give a fuck. Yeah, like, I mean, I like, like, you know, I like Gar- the Guardians of the Galaxy. I like, you know, Annihilation was really yeah. fun. I like it when... I mean, kind of like some of my least favorite X-Men stuff is when they go deal with the Shi'ar. Although I do, I do like the fact that, uh, that Professor X has a, a bird lady alien situationship. I mean, it, it's interesting because of that, right? Like, it's interesting yeah. because Professor X has skin in the game. <laughs> it's yeah. not interesting if the Shi'ar is in conflict with some other alien race and the Avengers are just like stepping into the, into the middle of it, which is what this story is. The Kree are legitimately the least interesting like faction in Marvel comics. The Kree are the real fucking nightmare factory of Marvel comics. Well, they're the, they're the first alien race. Every sci-fi thing thinks of. Where it's like, oh, they're really militaristic, and their society is kind of Roman. Yeah, that's yeah. Every first alien race, like they're the Romulans. You yeah. know, 
Yeah. And like, who, who honestly cares about the Romulans? Okay, hang on. <laughs> hang on, bud. Because I do. <laughs> don't, don't you fucking start. <laughs> also, I can't believe you no-sold me calling them the Nightmare Factory. I... Of Marvel <laughs> Comics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fucking... But the Supreme Intelligence is a QT Marshal. It's true. It's true. I'm well, sure he's very nice. Well, now QT has a TV show. He's 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 moving he? on to other things. Yeah, he's got QTV. I thought you may had like a real TV show. No, he's got QTV with Johnny TV. Who is Johnny TV? The guy who adds different last names after Johnny to everything. Is Johnny. is is that? Is it John Morrison? Yeah. Is Johnny TV... That, first of all, that's a great name for John Morrison. He's Johnny TV. <laughs> oh, that's actually good. That's actually good. Is that having him on fucking Dark Elevation? Because I have not seen hide nor hair of that. Uh, the YouTube shows have been canceled. It, I think it happened on Rampage that Johnny TV debuted. Johnny TV. That's good. That's <laughs> it was in that- than, like Johnny Dynamite. It was in part of that same segment where Anthony Bowens said to uh, another QTV person, Harley, whatever her last name is, that he's gay, and the crowd like cheered. Like maybe the crowd the time, I'm gay, but or he's gay, but like supportively. Yeah, the, maybe the first time that's ever happened in wrestling, <laughs> where a character like proclaimed themselves to be gay, and the crowd cheered wildly and and chanted in support of, of them. And Billy yeah. Gunn was there to hug him. Billy Gunn was there. Like he, Matt, I'm going to say something and I don't yeah. like, it's a weird thing for me to say. I think Billy Gunn might be like a solid dude. Maybe, maybe. Cause like, I, I remember seeing him at Chikara with, with Sean Waltman with the one, two, three kid. And Billy Gunn, like, gets on the mic after his match, and he's like, hey, I got, you know, I got something to say. And, like, Sean Waltman takes the mic away from him and goes, hey, don't. Like, I don't, I, like, they don't, they don't want you to do that. The crowd does not want you to do that. And Billy Gunn goes, yeah, I think, I think they do, right? And the crowd is like, eh. <laughs> and uh sean waltman starts laughing and he grabs the mic from him and he goes folks it's my fault i didn't tell him and the the deal with chikara at the time no cursing no no swearing like it's very family friendly so you can't like have a guy point to his dick and say suck it yeah and and billy gunn didn't know and then when he was told like he he was a very good sport about it like he was very funny it was my favorite billy gunn moment I, I think uh, of all the bad things you could do. I mean, he could have said "suck it," but probably not pointed to his dick. But yeah, it, it's it's nice to know that he was a good sport about it. Yeah, I also like that that Sean Waltman clearly was like the guy who who was like, "Oh yeah, I'll get Billy to come," and arranged that, and then and then like forgot to tell him. Yeah. Like that's very funny to me. Here's how much Operation Galactic Storm sucks. We started talking about Billy Gunn. We really, they really Billy Gunned that uh, that story. 
1999 King of the Ring, Billy Gunn. Yeah, go look it up. It's not good, man. It's not good. No, it sucks. It's like... It's it's not that bad. I never want to read it again, and I'm kind of done thinking about it now. Yeah, just reading the Captain America parts was bad enough <laughs> recently. So So I'm good never thinking about Operation Galactic Storm it's again. It's also such a weird era of, like, very uninteresting Avengers. Yes. Like, both in terms of, like, uninteresting Italics Avengers comics, but also, like, uninteresting characters on the team, the Avengers. Which is too bad, because this was the era where Cap was, like, really involved in the Avengers again. After not having been. Like, so much of the Grunewald Captain America run is him like kind of rebuilding the Avengers from scratch, right? Yeah. And that stuff that happens in Captain America is pretty interesting. But the Avengers team that he ends up rebuilding, which has like the least interesting version of Black Widow, the least interesting version of Hercules, <laughs> like all their rough edges are sanded off. And it's, yeah. It's it's not it's not the Avengers best era by any stretch. Weirdly, Heroes Reborn really did save the Avengers because yeah. when when they came back here in Heroes Return, that was the biggest the Avengers had ever been. Yeah, like in, in terms of both <laughs> roster size and popularity. Yeah, like the Music Perez run on Avengers saved Avengers, no doubt. And, yeah. Anyway, this is going to be in uh, four digits on the list, right? Oh, yeah. 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 It's uh, it's going low. Also, man, Operation Galactic Storm. Yeesh. Bad title. Bad title. Uh, okay, so at number 1,000 is Spider-Man Fast Lane. That's better. Yeah, I'm, I'm already down to 1,100. Okay, what's at 1,100? Sojourn from CrossGen. Similarly forgettable, but I think better. But better. I think better also. At 1200, we have uh, Legends, which I think is better. Okay. At 1250, we have The Sentry. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're in the neighborhood, yeah. Now we're in the neighborhood. Oh, did I... Did I tell you my good joke about um, Across the Spider-Verse? What's your good joke about Across the Spider-Verse? That it's very irresponsible to like encourage young people to uh, read comics by Peter David. <laughs> <laughs> Get well soon, Peter David. Get well soon, Peter David. Uh, Maybe cut that out. Don't, 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 you're not going to cut that out. You don't have time. But like, I didn't know he was sick. Is he sick? There was a thing. I think he was... Uh, raising money for some some medical uh, expenses. So I hope I, I I wish no ill will on Peter David. I wish no like look. I have said this before. People have asked me what my beef is with Peter David. I have no beef with the man personally. I just don't enjoy his comics. I yeah. wish yeah. him nothing but the best as a person. Yeah. He he. This was like end of last year. He had a GoFundMe that did reach its goal. And they raised 
quite a bit of money for for Peter. Um, so hopefully he's doing okay, and uh, all the best to Peter David. All the best, but Peter David. Legit. You don't have to read his comics. The, yeah. Okay, is this better or worse than Superman versus Dracula? Which sounds like it should be awesome, but isn't. But isn't, yeah. Um, what what number is that? On the that is at number 1240. Do you think it's better than the Sentry? I think it could be argued. I mean, it could also be worse. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's as good as the Sentry. I would okay. read the Sentry again before I would read it. Like, the Sentry has an interesting premise. That's the fair. Operation Galactic Storm doesn't have an interesting premise. Uh, Operation Galactic Storm, its maybe biggest crime is that it is often boring. Yeah. Okay. Is it better than Batman Incorporated number 8, the issue about Internet 3.0? That is literally what I was going to ask you, because I think that is that is the sticking point. That is a bad issue of Batman. It's it's the worst Grant Morrison issue of maybe any comic, but certainly of Batman. I mean, I don't think it's the worst issue of any Grant Morrison comic. I've read The Filth. Fair. Uh, but but it certainly ain't the best. Yeah. I I think we could put it above Internet 3.0, below JLA Trial by Fire, which is also not good. Which is also not good, yeah. But it's at least interesting. Eh. <laughs> I, I say let's though? let's put it at the new number twelve fifty nine. Okay, Avengers Operation Galactic Storm is at the new number twelve fifty nine. Uh, next on the list is from Ian is X Men the Phalanx Covenant. We've ranked that. Surely we've ranked that. Let's let's check it. Yes, it is at number ten ninety one. Okay, also <laughs> not quite the book you want it to be. Yeah, buddy, you asked two dudes who do not like the character Warlock. Third on Ian's list is Spider-Man, the Assassin Nation plot. I think we've also ranked that. I think we have, too. Uh, we have. It's at 11.01. We do have an alternate from Ian. Okay. Which is Avengers X-Men Blood Ties. Ooh, I don't think I've read that one. Which is the story where the Avengers and the X-Men go to Genosha together. I do not think I've read that one, which is shocking, but it's an Avengers comic from the 90s. So I mean, that that sounds like a real potential catch-up candidate. Does it? Does that sound like a book that you want to read and talk about? <laughs> I don't know, but I think it would be well. I think it would be interesting to talk about it at a minute. Matt, we get to Matt. We can choose what we want to do. <laughs> That's true, but I'm thinking about what would make good podcast, buddy. We are and the it, masters of our own fates here, dog. I think it would be very good podcasting for us to talk about that. But I think that is. I think you're wrong. I'll say that. <laughs> I think if that was here's the thing. I think if that was an interesting thing for us to talk about, we would have talked about it already. We've been doing this for a while. Okay, that's fair. I th- that is fair. 
Uh, okay. Looking at this list from Joel Valentine, I kind of feel like we have done it. Because okay. we've ranked Wiz Comics number two, I know, for a fact. It's a good comic. And I think we've ranked Action Comics 224, The Secret of Superman Island. Uh, I think we have two. I remember, I remember looking at that. Okay. Then yes, uh, that's at number 668. Then I'm quite certain we've done this list from Joel Valentine. How about this list from uh, Patrick O'Duffy? Which... Jared Stevens, The Man Called Fate, number one. Jared Stevens, <laughs> The Man Called Fate, number two. Uh, one list is DC super teams that lived and died in the 90s I'm sorry who did you say isn't this list in Patrick O'Duffy who did you say the boss dog Patrick O'Duffy even though he is relinquished that title mm, buddy I'm sorry to say it you don't get to do that (laughs) on the discord Patrick relinquished the title of boss dog That is, uh, again, apologies. Friend, that's not up to you. You were not, you didn't give yourself the name. Yeah. And thus, you don't get to say it's not yours anymore. Yeah. Sorry, dog. Okay. So one of these lists is DC super teams that lived and died in the 1990s. The other one is Marvel super teams that lived and died in the 1990s. Ooh. Ooh. Both of those are very tempting. I I feel like I gotta go with the DCs. Okay. DC comics that occurred entirely within the 1990s, that's my jam. Okay. Well, first on the list for Patrick is Young Heroes in Love, numbers 1 through 17, by Dan Raspler and Dev Madan. Here's something that might shock you. You've never read I've Young Heroes in Love? I've never read this. Yeah. I believe it is uh, one of Erica Henderson's favorite comics. Uh, but I, I was never that. able to put together a run when I was working at the comic book store. And then I don't think... I don't. Has it ever been collected? If it's been collected, it was like fairly recent, I think. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I remember it being one of those books that Wizard Magazine loved. Yeah. And I and I believe, if I am remembering correctly, it is one of those books that that Wizard loved in the way that they loved, like Usagi Ojimbo. Yes, like it was one yes. of those ones where it's like, hey, like this might not have a cool bad girl in it, like Billy Tucci's she. <laughs> they fucking loved she. <laughs> It's hard to know. It's it was hard to know where the she ads and the actual enjoyment of she started and ended in Wizard Magazine because there were a lot of ads for Billy Tucci's she. Yeah, but you also could get uh, uh, she number one half, mm-hmm. like from Wizard Magazine, and and find out maybe some some cool new information about Billy Tucci's she. That's true. That's true. With an I. Yeah, that's right. Means, yeah. Yeah. And I, she was I, like I, a different kind of bad girl. Uh-huh. Just I always tr- think about... I always think about Billy Tucci She in the same breath as uh, 
Joseph Michael Lisner's Dawn. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. You did it, dog. Uh, has anybody uploaded a full run of Wizard to uh, fucking archive.org yet? Because I would. That's that's the show now. If if they have Wizard magazine, yeah, <laughs> that's our new. That's that's our new segment. Uh, uh, I don't know what we're gonna call it. Uh, let me let me think on it for a minute. There's got to be a good title for a wizard, re, like wizards recap segment. Young Heroes in Love had a one million issue. If you yeah, I, I, I as a DC one million fan, that is one of the issues I could never find because it was not a a big selling book at the time. So, like, there weren't back issues of it like there were back issues of fucking Green Arrow, you know? Right. From what I can tell, it has never been collected. Yeah. Like, I can't find a collection anywhere. Fucking put it back out, man. I want to read it. Yeah. DC, put it back out. Uh, I mean, is it on the wizard up on archive.org? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Yeah, boy. Oh yeah. Here's my question: Is Young Heroes in Love on DC Universe Infinite, which I do not currently have a subscription to? That is what I would like to know. I may have to actually like dive in and look at, to see <laughs> if it's on there. Um. Okay. Next on the list from Patrick is Scare Tactics number 1 through 12. From Wizard number 1. This is from the first issue of Wizard. Okay. This is a quote. There will always be certain books, like Spider-Man or an X-Force, where it seems almost impossible to get burned by speculating. Here's the ad on the back cover of Wizard number one. In 1990, Marvel Comics broke all records when Spider-Man number one sold more copies than any comic ever published. Then there's a shot of uh, the the X-Men drawn by Jim Lee. And underneath it, it says, we were just warming up. X-Men number one on sale in August. Fucking called shot. That was a called shot. Six million, baby. The thing about speculating is the nineteen ninety equivalent of that guy, the CEO of that uh undersea exploration company. So at a certain how, point safety is, is redundant. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Okay. Did you hear what the next the next Scare Tactics? Scare Tactics one through twelve by Lynn Kaminsky and Anthony Williams. It, leave it to the boss dog Patrick O'Duffy to also remember scare tactics. <laughs> Not the uh, short-lived prank TV show. 
scare tactics. No, no. This is the story about uh, monsters who formed a band. That's right. And the, the band was called Scare Tactics. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's a great idea. It's a good idea, but it is wild that this comic existed. Oh, yeah, no, it's... It? Yeah. With, with, like... Like, Dan Brereton covers did not come cheap, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, they... Tr- they this, was a, this was a fucking Tensai. They tried <laughs> to get it over. They really did. Like, that's the thing I like about late 90s DC, is that they're taking risks. They're taking big swings. Uh, this is this is kind of that Black Widow or uh, not Black Widow, um, Black Canary series before Black that Black Canary series happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so also, I believe there is a connection here. There's a there's a Kaminsky connection. There's a Kaminsky connection. Yeah. Uh, a Kaminsky connection here, which is that I believe the weird conspiracy theorist from Fate. This is where he ends up as like the manager of Scare Tactics. It, it's the same creative team as Fate. It's it's not just Lynn Kaminsky. It's also Anthony Williams. Those dudes. Those dudes showed up, dropped the man called Fate on DC, and DC was like, "All right, what else you got?" Give him another. Give him another swing. Give him another chance at bat. And they took it. They I don't know, it. man. I, this book should have gotten over. the lead The lead singer of the band is like a hot goth vampire in like hot goth clothes. Yeah, in fishnets. Yeah, they didn't. Honestly, it's weird to say this about a comic from the nineties. They did not put her on the cover enough. Fair. Jim Ballant sold Jim Ballant been doing tarot for twenty fucking years, y'all. And he knows how to sell it. He knows how to sell it. Yeah. You got look, creeps are a reliable source of income. (laughs) Uh scare tactics. Scare tactics is a Lynn Kaminsky book, which Uh means at best it's a C plus. No offense, I'm sorry, Len Kaminsky. You are a you're a C plus player. I have read so many Len Kaminsky comics, and there was a time, like it felt like there's a fifty fifty chance if you pick up an issue of a DC comic from the late nineties that it's going to be a Len Kaminsky book. Had a lot of work at the time. Yeah, he was he was. The, the the good hand of DC Comics of the of the time period. Yeah, yeah, C plus player. Yeah, uh, but I do think Scare Tactics. It's the worst of them, but I do think it belongs in the conversation with Chase. Uh, honestly, with fate, uh, but with chase, with uh, 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 our man, like these weird third tier, like third string, second tier DC books 
that nobody really cared about that were kind of like, you know, Aztec, probably the best one uh, of the crop. But like, it's one of those, right, from this era of DC Comics. Stars and Stripe, I would put in that category, too, as one that I really like. Uh, although it is the small domino that leads to the large domino of the Flash movie. <laughs> well, you know what, though? I, like, it, it, I think it, it, do, it does belong in a conversation with all those books you're talking about. But the book it most makes me think of is not any of those, and it's not even a DC book. I bet I know exactly what book you're talking about. Hit me. Scroll Kill Crew. That's it. Yep. Because this book and Scroll Kill Crew are both books that are, you know, you're having fun reading them while they're coming out. You're having a good time. And you also know they should not exist. Yeah. You know that an editor in chief made a mistake and was and greenlit these books that they should have known were not going to last more than you know twelve issues because it's like these these are not commercially viable <laughs> they're just not yeah like I don't I don't know. I mean, God, I guess I guess I would maybe put Hitman in that conversation too, but that book was like successful. Like, yeah, that book went for sixty issues. Like Hitman and Starman are kind of like different things, but yeah, like it's the fact that I knew exactly what book you were going to say. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it. Like it is, it's such a like, it's such an oddity. And it's such a weird, it's a weird thing to exist. I, I like Scare Tactics. I think Scare Tactics is, like, was a good idea, and they could have done more with, because it's like the, it's like the Gen X Creature Commandos, you know? I, I'm sure that is exactly what it was pitched as. I wonder if it was supposed to be a, a Creature Commandos reboot. Oh, I guarantee it. it. Like I'm, I am certain now that you've mentioned it, that Lynn Kaminsky, when pitching this at DC, was like, "What if we did like a Creature Commandos, but for the '90s?" Yeah, and, and then this, it evolved into being a band. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe yeah. I mean I think the band was maybe part of the original pitch because it's so kind of ingrained into what this book is, but it's also. Like them being a band makes it impossible to sell. Like for the same reason that the Black Canary series was sort of like a quickly, like it 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 burned out really quick. Like a comic where the premise is they're a band is just not going to last. Why do you think that is? Is it because like com- like you're reading in a silent medium? I think it's a big part of it, yeah. But I also think it's just like it's it's not it's not what people think of when they think of superhero comics. But like it is a thing that people like audiences like. I mean like, you know, it's it it's the Hanna-Barbera formula. It's it, like people like stories about bands. Sure. But it's do people like stories about ba- 
bands that are also superheroes. I don't know. I mean, I don't like it gives it seems like it seems like a slam dunk, you know, because it gives you the structure of we got a group of characters, everybody has their role, we're going from town to town. You know, I think it works better for like an indie comic than a mainstream Marvel or DC book. Because there have been indie books about bands that have done, you know, fairly well. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, there's one in particular, there's one example in particular. I don't think you can say the name. Oh, I can't say the name? I don't think you can. I think it's better to move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. Well, let's just, let's go ahead and rank uh, Scare Tactics. Yeah, like, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think, like, I think it's good. I think it's, it's, I think it is, it is, I think it's good. I, I've always been surprised that nobody went back to this well. That that these characters did not become characters that would just like show up in the DC universe every now and then, because yeah. uh, they don't. They fucking no. don't. No, I you, you. I would be shocked to learn that these characters appeared anywhere ever again. Yeah. Uh. Absolutely. Like. But but I mean like, I like. I think it's a fun book. I think it's a good book. Yeah. Well, let's let's rank it. Find a spot for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm thinking maybe good. Like we have a section of the list that we have touted as good but forgettable, mm-hmm. which is like in the eight or nine hundreds, right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, like. It's not like it's, uh, let's see, number 950 is Jack Kirby's Silver Star. We're in the area, I think. Uh, Is, okay, so similar, so similar. Is it better or worse than Blood is the Harvest? Probably better, probably better. You think better? Yeah. Okay. All right. Then. I'm going to say better. Right so above, right above Blood is the Harvest, we do have Ultimate X-Men, the Tomorrow People. Which I think is probably better. Okay. So this will be the new number 954. Yeah. Scare Tactics. When did this book start? Um, 90. I'd guess I'm going to say 97. 96. Well, December 90. Yeah, 96. 96. Yeah, well. Scare Tactics 1996 goes at the new number 954. Again, right. if you're listening, Lynn Kaminsky, I'm sorry, but like I did, that is my that is my feeling. Finally on the list from Patrick is the Power Company issues 1 through 18. What? <laughs> Uh, Patrick told me he was sending this one in, and I forgot until just now. <laughs> you know who loves the fucking power company? 
This guy right here? This guy. I read the shit out of the power company, and I was certainly the only one. <laughs> uh, the power company was great because they were they were corporate superheroes whose entire deal was that they were like a corporation. Like they functioned right. as a corporation. Right. And but they would also like do pro bono work because there were a bunch of people who got like uh like uh meta powers from the fucking invasion bomb, which had happened years and years before in, in DC continuity. Uh and then like some like kind of like v- very next wave. Very next wave. Cause it's it's a couple of new characters and then a couple of characters who are coming back. Uh but like Carl Bork is in this. Uh there there's also there's a there's a hot goth girl <laughs> in this comic. Now I, I do feel compelled to note, Chris, yes. that this is not a DC comic that lived and died in the nineties. No, this, this is, is a DC comic yeah. that lived and died in the early 2000s. Yeah. It ran from 2002 until 2003. There were also there was also a series of one-shots mm-hmm. where the various characters from the Power Company crossed over with mainline DC Comics characters. Yeah, boy. Uh, but we're only... Right, Yes. We're only talking about issues one through eighteen of the Power Company, but I think that is important context to know. Uh, well, we can in- we can also include the one shots because they're basically like Power Company number zero. Okay, that's uh, fine. Yeah, uh, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this uh, creative team we got here, bud. I believe you said it already, but uh, you want to talk about Kurt Busiek and Tom Grummet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, friends. Kurt Music and Tom Grummet. That's a reliable team. This was music coming right off of his Avengers run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh also, um a, a thing that I love about this is that it it there's a there's Manhunter in it, and it's a clone. It's one of the clones of Paul Kirk, whose name is Kirk DePaul. Okay, you don't think that's as funny as I do. That's fine. No, it's funny. It's it's classic clone shit where you just flip their names around. Yeah. yeah. So it's CCS, baby. It's classic clone shit. Get your skateboards right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, it, and it's, it's, if you've ever wondered what Next Wave would be like if it was written by Kurt Busiek, this is it. This is exactly that thing that no one was wondering about. But this is it. And it's good. Like, it's it's definitely like a book I read at the time. And I thought was, was like, really... It's interesting. Uh, the stuff with Bork in here is actually really good. Like, he's kind of the breakout, uh, the breakout star. Uh, Manhunter's the Wolverine of the team. But Bork being the... 
a weird like monster of the week Batman villain to come back for this this story this this run is he's like an interesting and very introspective character. I I dig it, man. I think it would be it's I think it's easy to mistake this comic for having come out in the 90s. Because some of the design elements are very 90s. It's like, 90s in a very DC way because it's like it's it, it's a Tom Grummet comic, so everybody kind of cool. looks like there's people in here who definitely kind of look like Superboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the number one reason to think it's a 90s comic is the Tom Grummet art for sure. But there's also like just like design elements that are very 90s looking, like the sort of all lowercase uh, headings and stuff like that that's that are used. Some of the lettering choices. Things like that are very 90s looking. Mm-hmm. But content wise, this could not be a more immediately post 9 11 comic. Yeah, for sure. Because everything is highly militarized. Yeah, and they're like, they are a, they are a meta human private security company. Yeah. They're, they're a, a meta human PMC. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, but I think it's like an interesting premise because you've got uh, Skyrocket, who's kind of you know, she's got like an Iron Man suit that is an American flag, but she's like, hey, we should be like, we should be like doing good, like we should be out there, like helping people, and and fighting crime, and not just like you know, guarding the boat show. And then July Power is like, well, we got to make money. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty much where we're at. You can do your program so stuff, but we got to make some money. Yeah. So we're going to the boat show. So we're going to the boat show. Yeah. In a way, it's like a non-satirical, uh, what was the name of the, the, the Mark Russell book with Red Tornado, One Star Squadron? One Star Squadron, yes. Yeah, yes. in a way, it's very much the non-satirical version of that. Yeah, without this whole, like, uh, kind of apps part of it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it it's also got, like, it, it's kind of a non-satirical ecstatics uh, in some yeah. ways, too. Yeah. It's, 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 what if Kurt Music did like three different comics. What if Kirby Music did Ecstatics? What if Kirby Music did uh, One Star Squadron uh, with Tom Grummet? And, and that kind of... It, it is very much, I think, the last gasp of there being this particular DC universe that felt cohesive in this way, where... Like, yeah, there's just, like, a bunch of fucking people with powers running around, and some of them just gotta have jobs. Uh, And I will always love that premise. Like, I will, like, that's a thing that I really, you know, I've talked before about that ended up being, like, the Wildstorm universe. Uh, Like, the character of the Wildstorm universe, that it was defined by being, like, the world where superheroes have jobs. Yeah, it it was all about its economy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to like base a universe around, but it's also like it's good when it's done right. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's a good book. Again, I think good but forgettable, but better than a lot of the stuff that's in the good but forgettable section. Yeah, you know what book it also reminds me of? The Order. That's you guessed it again. Yep, Matt. We've Nailed been doing it. this show for a long fucking time. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. The Order. All right. Well, okay. Where is the order on the list? That's. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, the order is on the list, uh, at number 836, uh, the order. Yeah, and I think this book's very comparable in terms of both quality and themes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then, then look around and, and find me a spot around it. Uh, I would say it's, I mean, it's like, it's like almost exactly it should go right there, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I think it goes just maybe just I would say above the order. Ooh, above the order. Okay, there's more of it, and it's all consistently good. Okay, that's really the only dividing line there, because you do get all the one shots, and you get the like actual series, which goes for a little bit longer than the order. The order went for ten issues. Power Company goes for eighteen. Do you want and it has those one shots? Yeah. Do you want it above or below Godzilla one through seventeen? Below. Okay, so it's going to go right above the order. Uh, the Power Company. I'll put in parentheses two thousand two, and we'll also say one through eighteen and one shots because we're including them all. All right, that's the new number eight thirty six. And that is Patrick's list. Although Patrick does have a backup since we didn't rank Young Heroes in Love. The backup from Patrick is The Blood Pack Numbers 1 through 4 by Charles Moore and Christopher Taylor. Buddy, you know we haven't read The Blood Pack. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) Oh man, The Blood Pack. Now that is a 90s comic. My god. Oh man! Um, okay, Matt, our next to, list. Um, if you were, uh, if you were maybe curious about uh, what was going on in uh, Wizard Number Sixty Two, mm-hmm. uh, like, do, are, I was, you know, are you curious about that? Yeah, of course I am. Of course I am. Um. Let's see here. Well, we've got uh, we've got uh, some uh, American comics creators are gonna like pick their favorite manga, which is interesting. Okay. Uh, if I can, if I can get to this page. Oh, we've got some fan art. Okay. We got we got some fan art of like a, a like a kawaii Judge Dread girl. <laughs> okay. I think it's supposed to be Tank Girl, but like very anime and in a Judge Dredd helmet. Um, well, I I could envision I could see Tank Girl in that attire. Uh, let's see. Oh, I mean, we got a poster of the Fantastic Four in here. Uh this, this price guide does go on. 
Oh yeah. So much of Wizard Magazine was just price guide. Uh let's see. Uh, uh, here we go. Uh, uh, good news, Matt. Uh, Mary Eisenberg and his uh, Marty Eisenberg and his partner Robert Skier are among the syndicated story editors for the upcoming season of the Mask animated series. So that's good. Oh, uh, good. It's going to be a cold day in hell for Batman and Robin. That's how director Joel Schumacher summed up a video preview of Batman and Robin shown by DC Comics at the San Diego Comic-Con in July. (laughs) Oh, boy. With Mr. Freeze as a villain, expect lots of devices relating to cold, ice, and snow. Schumacher promised a rooftop car chase and Gotham City as you have never seen it before. Correct. You You know what? He delivered. He delivered that. That's just good, actually. That car chase and that design for Gotham City. I love it. All right. Here's our next list. It is from Jesse Witham. Okay. And these are Lovable Losers Origins. First up is from Amazing Spider-Man number 110, The Birth of the Gibbon. Now, Chris, I don't know if you remember this issue. I do not. This is going to be all you, buddy. By Stanley and John Romita. This is a fully Stanley and John Romita joint, RIP. And, okay. It's not a good issue. Like, let me be very clear. <laughs> it's not a good issue of Spider Man, per se. But it is very fun, and it is. You know what happens when, like, characters get introduced, like, villains get introduced, and, like, at first they're supposed to seem like a big threat, and then the audience is like, oh, they suck, and then they become a joke later, right? Like, typeface is the best example of this that I can think of. The thing about the Gibbon being introduced in this issue is he sucks from jump. (laughs) Okay. He sucks from Jump Street. He is a dude who worked at the zoo. And I'm trying to I'm trying to remember exact so okay, he first shows up, like Spider-Man throws his camera to take a picture of himself. And Gibbon, a.k.a. Martin Blank, catches the camera and he's like, hey, Spider-Man, I've been reading you. I've been reading about you for years. And I, I just wanted to, like, talk to you. So I, I, I used to go to the zoo and, I, like, I was on a school trip to the zoo and I was at the Gibbon cage and I tried to, like, climb on the cage and everybody made fun of me. But then I I like picked up picked up the powers. And uh I, I forget I forgot how he even got the powers, to be quite honest. But uh he he was just tired of everybody laughing at him. So first he guys goes and tries to join the circus, and that doesn't work out either. He gets laughed at there. And so then he finds Spider Man, he's like, Spider Man. 
I want to be your partner. I want to join up with you. And Spider-Man also laughs at him. <laughs> like, he says, what's the, matter, what's the matter with you? Can't you understand? I want to be your partner. And Spider-Man says, my partner? So that's what you've been up to. Last time I saw you, I didn't know it was an audition. And he's like laughing at Gibbon. And so Gibbon attacks him. And he tries to throw Spider-Man off of a building. And uh, and Spider-Man just leaves. And he says, you're not my... Spider-Man tells him, you're not my idea of a fun person. And so... That's, that's the coldest shit in the world. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. Yeah. And... Uh, that's when uh, Spider-Man leaves and Gibbon like throws a tantrum and he gets seen by, I forget who it even was who saw. I, oh, it's Craven. Craven sees him and he's like, Oh, I can harness his power and do something with it. And so like the next story is Gibbon once again, attacking Spider-Man, but with Craven, like pulling his strings and, uh, yeah, that's 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 the origin of the Gibbon. Is it the best issue of early Amazing Spider-Man? Not at all. Not even close. I mean, is it that's a, a fun issue? It's pretty fun. That's a pretty. I mean, Peter kind of a dick. Peter is kind of a dick in this issue. Yes. Why? Why would you also laugh at him? He, he just my radioactive spider, Peter. He just completely laughs at this guy. You're not my idea of a fun person. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. If someone said that to me, if someone I admired said that to me, I would fucking shrivel into dust and blow away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember when we talked about how, like, sometimes Peter's a dick? Yes. This is it. Yeah. This is it. Now that I'm looking through the issue, I don't think the Gibbon actually even gets powers in this. He's just like a strong guy and has some acrobatic skills. And the circus gives him the gorilla suit. Man. Like, that's it. That's. Uh, yeah. Damn. That is harsh. Um, also, in this issue, there's a very cool moment where, like, Peter is all um, kind of out of it because he hasn't slept in a long time. Why he's such an asshole? Maybe. But like he walks into uh Aunt May's apartment and and Gwen is there and uh he like kind of passes out and Gwen like takes care of him. Which is nice. It's like a nice moment. Like cuz this is not long before Gwen dies. And like it's a a little bit of a role reversal where Gwen is actually like taking care of and caring for Peter. Peter Parker being so fucking tired that he is an asshole to the given and then <laughs> passing out. He's just like me for real. He's just like you for real. Like he's the hero that you could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me find where to, where to put this. I was gonna say I, I was gonna suggest it be just number one thousand straight up, just straight up without even looking. But 
1000 is the case of the chemical syndicate and it's two spots above spider-man fast lane so i don't think i can do that i'm honestly surprised that we ranked the case of the chemical syndicate above fast lane in retrospect like you gotta look at impact you gotta look at impact yeah. yeah well uh number number 1003 is uh batman fighting professor gorilla which is well somewhat similar <laughs> Yeah, Marvel Apes is at 1044, and that's definitely better. Okay. So uh, let me let me scroll down a bit. Uh, 1100 is Marvel 2-in-1 number 8. That's probably better. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 86 will be where the Black Widow is at 1122. That is the first appearance of Black Widow. I think this is close to that. Okay. Um, let's see. 1150 is Jimmy Olsen 61, Olsen the Roughneck. Okay, I think this is going to go above some, that. has got some rough stuff in it. Yeah, this... Amazing Spider-Man 259 is at 1141. Death of Gene DeWolf is at 1139. I'm going to go above those. You heard it here first, folks. The first appearance of the given is better than the death of Gene DeWolf. Would you not agree? I would rather read the first appearance of the given. Yeah, same. I'm just saying. People heard that here first. Because they <laughs> would not hear it anywhere else. Alright, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it at the new number 1131. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that we're not cowards. Oh, I'm going to put it at the new number number 1132. Below the story where New 52 and Post-Crisis Superman merge, but above Ugh. Ultimate Marvel Team-Up number 6 through 8. Okay, 1132? 1132. Okay. That's Amazing Spider-Man number 110, which is called, I think it's called The Birth of the Gibbon. Yeah, The Birth of the Gibbon. I love it, but it's not actually good. <laughs> Uh, next on Jesse's list is Day of the Grizzly. <laughs> I'm sensing Amazing a theme. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 139. Uh, this is... I think this is a... Jerry Conway joint. Yeah, that's, it's Jerry Conway. Slim and Jerry Conway joint. Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew. And it is so much more 1970s than that given issue just to be like a couple years later the the tonal shift from i think the given issue was 71 and this is like 73 or 74 mm-hmm. it is such a huge difference and grizzly in his first appearance this is this okay this is one where like the character who everybody later agrees is a joke is initially presented as like a big threat. Cause what he does is he comes smashing into the daily bugle office and he just starts wrecking shit. Like he just starts smashing up the daily bugle offices. And the first thing he says is nothing can stop me. Nothing. So look out New York. The grizzly is back in town. Wait, is he back in town? There's an editor's note. <laughs> 
that says, no, true believer, you haven't missed an issue. This is the first time we've ever seen the Grizzly. But, well, let's explain later, okay? Oh, man, thank you. Thank you, Roy. I needed that. Roy, let us know. Uh, So, Grizzly goes directly for Betty Brandt and is going to attack Betty Brandt. And then uh, Robbie Robertson, like, smashes a chair on his back like it's a fucking wrestling match. And Grizzly swats him away. Then he goes stomping into J. Jonah Jameson's office and throws J. Jonah Jameson out of a window. He defenestrates J. Jonah Jameson. I do love a good J. Jonah Jameson defenestration. And Spider-Man, who just happens to be outside by the window, uh, catches him in webs and goes into the office. boy? Who who does he call? Who's called? Does who Spider Man call Jonah Laughing Boy? I don't think so. I don't think so. What? I would have fucking lost the house betting on that. <laughs> he says, um, "In a way, I almost hate to do this. Neither of us will ever forgive me." So he catches Jonah, and then Jonah goes, "Not you, you wall crawling menace." That's not a thing I would say to someone who just kept me from dying. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, you know, I guess J.J. Jameson built different, but. Uh, and then Spider-Man says, from now on, when you put me down in public, I'll only have myself to blame. And you, you'll have to live with the fact that you owe your life to you. the guy you hate most, me. He does not call him Laughing Boy. Unfucking believable so Spider-Man goes back in and he starts fighting Grizzly and they have a big fight in Jonah's office. And, uh, he basically what he does is he just moves so fast that Grizzly can't use his powers on him. But, and, and, uh, Spider-Man talks, starts talking about like, what do you think this is a boxing match? And then Grizzly grabs him by the ankle and starts throwing him around like smashing him into stuff. And Grizzly's like, all right, I, my job here is done. I'm leaving. I threw Jonah, Jonah out of a window, so I'm done. And so Spider-Man does not let him know that he saved Jonah and just puts a spider tracer on him. And uh, Grizzly leaves. And uh, then later, uh, Peter awakens uh, out of like, like he passes out uh, in Washington square, I think, or he gets, he gets knocked out and he awakens and he finds himself in a room with Grizzly and Jackal. Cause Grizzly has been working for Jackal this whole time. Uh. I, this issue is better than the given issue. Are you sure? I'm sure. Because listen, I'm there, sure. there are few characters that show up and both of us are like, no. Like, that the, have real go-home heat with us. And one yeah. of them is that fucking pervert, Miles Warren the Jackal. That's true. But Jackal is barely in this. Mm. Uh... 
it is mostly that little fucking freak. Uh, it is mostly Gibbon and or Grizzly, I should say. And Grizzly is actually presented as a threat in this issue. Like he the stuff where he's like bursting into the Daily Bugle and just smashing shit up is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's that much better than the given issue, though. Like, it ain't better than Beware the Black Widow, which is at 1122. Okay. It, I, can, I think I'm going to put it between Spider-Man and Batman, the J.M. Dematius Spider-Man-Batman, and Spider-Man X-Force Sabotage. Never forget. So that'll make it the new 1127. Uh, so that's Amazing Spider-Man number 132, 139, 139, and that story is called Day of the Grizzly. It is kind of stupid that he says the Grizzly's back in his first appearance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jerry, you know better. Do they explain it later? They do. I, I the next okay. issue is Grizzly's whole um, origin story. I, I okay. think we maybe should include the next issue too, because the the whole next issue is about how Grizzly was a pro wrestler. And that does that does sound pretty. That sounds better. Is the jackal in it though? Um. Yeah. I mean, he's. He's Grizzly's employer. And it's also the issue where Spider-Man like is makes he, a fool of Grizzly. Is he booking the Grizzly? He's booking the Grizzly, yeah. But yeah, the, the the next issue is the one where we find out like Grizzly's whole deal about how he was a pro wrestler and then the Jackal found him and gave him like extra powers. And he used to work for J. Jonah Jameson. He was like J. Jonah Jameson's bodyguard for a while. And but Jameson treated him like shit, so that's why you threw Jada Jonah Jameson out of a window. <laughs> that's, I mean, he should know this being a pro wrestler. Too many gimmicks. Too many gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, also, um, Spider Man beats him ultimately by um, catching parts spectacularly. Yes, uh, by catching parts of his costume with webs and ripping all of his clothes off. <laughs> Peter loves to rip people's clothes off. He does. <laughs> it's a thing we don't talk about that much, because I think it makes us both a little uncomfortable. But Peter, don't fight Peter Parker if you don't want people seeing your business. All right, I, I'm changing this to Amazing Spider-Man 139 and 140, because I think those two issues are one story. Because it's all... Amazing Spider-Man first and or uh, Grizzly first and O. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I and that's why the Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, that's why Grizzly says he's back because he used to work for Jonah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Hey Matt, um, in case you were wondering, uh, we've got uh, I believe five of of comics top artists, like hottest artists, that are going to tell us oh what their favorite uh, manga is. Uh, okay, Jim Madrera's uh, okay. favorite manga series is Bastard. Uh, okay. Also likes You're Under Arrest. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, says in here, uh, I get a lot of ideas from Japanese stuff. No kidding. <laughs> uh, I gave Rogue a hairstyle from Ghost in the Shell in The Age of Apocalypse. It was the first time. This is not part of the quote. This is just an explanation from uh, Michael O'Connell of Wizard Magazine. Uh, it was the first time that an anime hairdo was given to an American character. Citation needed. Yeah. Uh, J. Scott Campbell, you know what he likes? Uh, probably something with with a lot of titties. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> <laughs> and Appleseed. Joe Majerera actually turned me on to Gunsmith Cats. That's a book with a lot of titties. He knew what J. Scott Campbell liked. Fucking, I love Gunsmith Cats. Gunsmith Cats, that is a book where my Kenichi Sonata likes elaborate hosiery, guns, and titties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what J. Scott Campbell has to say. Billy Tucci, he's the writer, artist, and publisher of She. <laughs> Do you know what his favorite manga is? <sighs> Probably something with a lot of titties. Um, I don't know. What is it? I think you're going to be surprised. Mm. Ninja Scroll. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, J. Scott Campbell's favorite anime is Battle Angel Alita. Uh, Umberto Ramos, the penciler of Impulse. Uh, his favorite manga series, Video Girl Eye, You're Under Arrest, and Battle Angel Alita. Uh, favorite anime is Scroll. Couldn't pick this uh, one. Brian Polito, the writer and publisher of Lady Death. If, if you think about it for five seconds... You will know what his favorite manga is. It's got to be something with some, like, creepy horror stuff in it. I'm trying to think. It's hard to remember what mangas existed at that time. Vampire Hunter D? You're so close. It's Gona Guy's Devil Man. Oh. <laughs> Just about everything that Gona Guy does, I follow like crazy. His cutie honey is fun. She's not as gnarly as Devil Man, but she does still kick some tail. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Uh, and then we have Scott McCloud, who is credited as writer of Superman Adventures. Not what I would have said, but okay. Not what I would have said. Even at this time. Um, favorite manga series is uh, Osama Tezuka's Dororo. Favorite anime, again, it, it makes perfect sense. I don't, I'm not going to make you guess it. It's My Never Totoro. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Does this predate Pluto? Uh, I believe so. It certainly predates Pluto's publication in uh, America. This is in October of 1996. Is this issue because because I would bet money on Scott McCloud saying Pluto after the publication of Pluto? Yeah, yeah, money. Uh, okay, we have one more comic to rank, Chris. Uh huh. Uh huh. Luckily, I can get it done in in quick order. Okay. 
It's Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 99, Spider on the Spot. The debut of the spot. Hey, guess what comic sucks? Guess what issue of comics sucks? The first appearance of the spot. I'm shocked. Uh, written by Al Milgram with pencils by Herb Trimpey. Hey, did you remember that in his first appearance, the spot had eyes? Did he? Yeah. Like, the spots on his mask, like he has the two big spots where his eyes go, but then he has eyes on top of those. Can you hear this dog whining like I am currently stabbing her with a knife? I'm sure she's upset about the spot's eyes, because they're upsetting to me. You know what else happens in the spot's first appearance, Chris? He fucking beats Spider-Man. Yeah, man, I saw that movie. Well, that happened in the movie, too, yeah, but, like, he's working for the Kingpin. Jonathan Owen gets these powers. That's the worst. That's the absolute worst. (laughs) Johnny on the spot. Johnny on the spot. That's the fucking pits, Al Milgram. (laughs) (laughs) He is Johnny on the spot. It's bad. It's bad. Uh... So initially, he he makes himself look well for uh, for a little bit. He makes himself look like Spider Man, like white costume Spider Man. And then uh, he's, but the whole time he's working for the Kingpin because he was like a scientist for the Kingpin to start with. <laughs> and uh, then he becomes a spot, and the Kingpin is like, "Hey, go go deal with Spider Man and the Black Cat." And so they have a fight on a rooftop, and all Spider-Man keeps trying to punch him, and his fist just goes through the portals over and over again. And then he like throws Spider-Man into a wall, and he says, uh, uh, Don't harness the kingpin again, or I shall be forced to destroy you both. And then he just leaves. Do you mean, do you mean harass? No, he says harness. Oh, okay. It might be a misprint, but what he says is harness. Interesting. Look, I don't know. I don't know why he says harness. Maybe it's something that happened in the previous issue where he he harnessed the kingpin. Uh, but yeah, it probably should be harass. <laughs> uh, anyway. He just he just pieces out. Spot just pieces out and gets the best of Spider-Man. I mean, obviously, the next issue is Peter Parker, the Amazing Spider-Man number 100. And it doesn't end there. But um, this issue sucks. Sorry. It's the worst of all of them that we've discussed. Wow. It, which is weird, because I know you love the spot. I like the spot in certain contexts. I don't I'm, like, it, it, but I like the spot as a loser. If the spot is presented as a capable villain, I'm not interested. Do where do you think the movie falls? Because he's he's a little bit of both. Well, he's a loser at the start, and then it justifies him becoming a capable villain by the end. That's true. That I'm completely in for. But the depiction of the spot as when at the start of the movie, mwah, that is the spot I love. 
it really Cause he, it hits he, the right tone. He can't get an ATM out of a convenience store. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's good. beautiful. Uh, I'm going to put this issue at let's see. What's at number 1200? Battle Chasers. I think this goes below Battle Chasers. Let's put it at the new number. Twelve hundred fourteen between Action Comics Annual Number One Skeeter and World's Finest Number Two Eighty Nine. Are you amenable to that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, the new number twelve fourteen is Peter Parker Spider Man Number Ninety Ninety Nine. Uh, which is called Spider on the Spot. Ugh. Johnny on the Spot. Like, he, Al Milgram used it twice. In the issue title and in his actual fucking name. Grotesque. Johnny Honestly. on the Spot. All right, and that's going to have to be it for this. Well, Matt, I don't think that has to be I don't think we want to go out on that note, so I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a reason to be a little bit happier. It's something from Wizard Magazine. I it's something from Wizard Magazine, The Guide to Comics, number 47. Uh, this is from July of 1995. Uh, and this is uh, an article entitled Off the Drawing Board okay, uh, by Cindy Perlman. Because now more than ever, comics are jumping from the comic book page to the big screen. And audiences yeah. couldn't be happier. It was then more than ever. Audiences... Couldn't be happier. Here are the <laughs> movies that are profiled on this page. Can, Can I guess? That we have. Okay, yes, you, you may. Can I guess? You may. All right, so what was the publication date of that issue of Wizard? This would be July of 95. So this is looking okay. forward to the summer of 95. So the mask is definitely one of them. Oh, d- crushed it. Nailed it. Tank Girl? Tank, you're two for two. You, there's, okay. there's five movies. You are two for two. Okay. One Mask of them you're never going to fucking get. Mystery Men? No. Mystery Men uh, is not mentioned. Mystery Men might have come later. Yeah. Mystery Men might have been like 98. Uh, uh, 99. Mystery Men was 99. Um, Batman Forever. Batman Forever surprisingly mentioned, but not included in the uh, in this opening spread. Are any of them animated? No, no. Wow, man. Um, I'm trying. Okay, I, let me let me take myself back. Oh, let me take myself back to 1995. Okay. So I okay. I've got I've got the mask. And I've got Tank Girl. Hmm. And th- that might be all I get. Those two. Hit me with the rest. Buddy, audiences couldn't be happier. I think that's what was holding you up. You weren't thinking about the quote, audiences couldn't be happier. 
I'm talking okay. Mask. I'm talking Tank Girl. I'm talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. I'm talking about Dr- Judge Dredd. Oh, Judge Dredd. I should have went back in time. Three was the one where they went back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of all, I'm talking about McCullough Culkin and Richie Rich. Are you kidding? Okay, you know what my next guess would have been? Mall rats. Shockingly not mentioned. That is shocking. Uh, also, I'm just gonna I'm gonna send you something that I think is gonna cheer you up a little bit. Okay. I'm just gonna send you a quick picture, and maybe you can. Okay. I'm waiting for it. I I, I texted it to you, so you might want to check your phone. And maybe oh, you set this as your wallpaper. Uh, I'm gonna look at my texts here. <laughs> oh no, no! I have to delete this from my phone. You don't want this, you don't want to keep that and maybe make it your wallpaper. I'm gonna make it your contact image. In my this phone. is horrifying. This is horrifying, Chris. This is a picture of JB John Byrne pointing a gun directly at me. <laughs> it sure is. And then pointing another gun at. The ceiling. It's John Byrne with two six shooters, Ugh. like a like a cowboy. He thought that was the coolest picture anyone's ever taken. This this is it's great. It's a great picture. Um, <laughs> maybe next time we can go over this issue's casting call uh, for for the Sandman movie. Well, listeners, let us know if you want us to do more looking through old issues of wizard magazine and it maybe if we should make that a segment on the regular weekly or rocket ajax show can i just because... say that they do like fucking crushed it with this casting of kane and abel mm-hmm. as uh alan rickman and dom deloise that's actually good <laughs> that's actually that a spawn clutch is that spawn no, that's sandman that's sandman, kane sandman. And abel. oh yeah right okay okay hey Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to send us an Every Story Ever list, you can email one to us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support these specials, as well as the weekly War Rocket Ajax show, comics catch-up, and movie fighters and snacks situation, head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and uh, donate a little bit of money if you feel like you would like to do that. If you want to... Contact us in other ways than email. Please send your every story ever list by email and no other way. But if you want to contact us in other ways, we're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Twitter seems to be in its death throes today, but we do have a Twitter account at warrocketpod. I don't know, man. We've been we've been saying that for like a year. Go see what's happening there right now. What's happening on Twitter right right now? Well, it'll be old news by the time the episode goes up, but I'll tell you when we're done recording. Okay. Uh, where I said Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com, Twitter at warrocketpod, and our Discord, which you have to be invited to be a member of, but if you ask us for an invitation, we'll be sure to get you one. Uh, warrocketajax.com is our website with all every episode of the show we've ever done. And warrocketwiki.com is the fan-run place to get all the information you could ever want about War Rocket Ajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to all my uh, 
books, comics, social medias, and other podcasts. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website. It does links to everything. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. In, any final words? Do Chris? I say something here? I, uh, I don't. I didn't think I had like a sign off for this. You don't, but I just thought you might want to say something. No, nah, man. I, I, as you know, Matt, on this show as in life, I love giving other people the last word. <laughs> I'm very excited for the comic book adaptations of 1995. Bye, everybody. Forever, 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 ever, forever. Yes! From this day on, as every breed of mongrel lived together.